Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we'll have the, the scriptures here on the screen for you as well, but um, we are we're on week two now of our summer in Ephesus, and uh, I, um, I've done several walks through the book of Ephesians, and I've, I've listened to uh, other people go through it and, and read some books that are kind of centered on that, and I think that this is a, a great thing for us to start on this summer and to be looking at together. And if you weren't here last week, what we looked at, it was in the very first part of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is just kind of expounding upon everything that God has blessed us with. And it is so rich and so deep that you could really spend a lot of time just on those first 14 verses in the book of Ephesians. Um, and today we're going to move beyond that as, as we consider all the things that God has done for us there's still more for us to consider that God has for us and available to us. And so we're going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. So if you'll look with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you too, while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray, that the, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, again, what we just read is three sentences in the words of Paul. And, and the, Paul crams so much into his sentences that it takes time to really work your way through everything that he's trying to say. And so I want to start, actually, with kind of what he was saying here at the end. He's talking about Jesus. And what he says is this. It, he says, excuse me, I'm find in my place. It says that God brought things about, brought this power about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So for one thing, it's powerful. It is a demonstration of God's great power to bring Jesus back from the dead. Amen? That takes power in order to do that. But it doesn't stop there. Paul goes on. He says he, he raised him from the dead, and it says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, this is, of course, a, a position of authority. The, the picture that we have is a throne room where God is seated on the throne above all other thrones, and he places Jesus, seats him at his right hand. That is a position of power, a position of authority over all things. And Paul goes on and he explains, it's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He's saying that Jesus... Being raised from the dead is a demonstration of God's power, and then power has been entrusted to him as he is seated at the right hand of God. And this power is above all other power. 
above all other names. He says, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what Paul is describing here is he is describing Jesus as the most powerful person that you could imagine. Right? He is overall and and completely far above every other possible position of power you can imagine. Now there are some people who are pretty powerful. Right? There are people who have a lot of influence and they have a lot of control and they have a lot of authority in our world today. Jesus is far above them all. His power, his authority exceeds any position of power, any position of authority that you can imagine here on earth. Even if some dictator in the future is able to conquer the whole world and establish an earthly kingdom over the entire earth, even if that was possible, that person would still be a puppet compared to the authority of Jesus Christ. He is powerful above all possible understanding of power in this world. There is nothing that is his equal. There is nothing that is his rival. He is on the throne. And we need to understand that that is a serious amount of power. We need to understand that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who died on the cross for us, he is a powerful person. And he has authority beyond our wildest imaginations. And Paul makes sure that he puts all of this into this text. He is really trying to hammer home this idea of Jesus being in such authority because he wants us to understand it. If we go back now, we look in verse 18. What he says is this, I pray, this is Paul praying. Remember last week we talked about Paul visited the church at Ephesus and they didn't even know about Jesus. And they didn't know that Jesus had given them the Holy Spirit. They'd never heard of the Holy Spirit until Paul showed up. And so he taught them about the Holy Spirit. He stayed there two years among these people. And he trained up men to be pastors of the church. And and he led them for a long time in the depths of, of what the Word of God said about the Messiah, and proving to them that Jesus was that Messiah, and then demonstrating how to walk in accordance with the Spirit of God. And he has a prayer for them. He's thankful for the report of their, their faithfulness. But he, he, he's sharing with them his prayer for them. This is what he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now listen, we can spend a lot of time talking about the hope of the calling that we have in him. And we will. We'll get to that a little bit more in a later sermon. And we can talk a lot about the riches of his glory that we find in this inheritance. And we will. We'll discuss those things later. Today, what I want to talk about is this, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. What this is saying, Jesus, who has that authority that he mentions later, 
as he describes Jesus as supreme over all of the earth, over every possible construct of human authority, Jesus sits over it all. And that power is something he is praying that these believers would know, that their eyes would be enlightened to this truth, that it would be something that they know in their knower. Deep down, in the core of who they are, he wants them to understand and be fully believing that this power that Jesus had is toward you. It's toward me. Jesus wants us to have that kind of power. And he has placed us as his agents here on earth until he comes again. So that we could carry out his mission. So that we could continue the work that he started. So that we could bring the kingdom of God here with the little bit of time that we have while we're here. Now Jesus tells his disciples about this power in various places. I want to take you to Acts chapter 1. Now, the book of Acts, of course, comes after the Gospels. In the Gospels, we hear about the life and death of Christ and his resurrection. And after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples on various occasions. And in the very beginning of the book of Acts, we have one of those times where Jesus is there with his disciples. It is the, the time whenever he ascends into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he's giving them some instructions. They've asked him questions about, is it now? Is now the time? Are you bringing the kingdom of God here? Are you going to overthrow these Romans? Are we finally here? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know those things. It's not even for me to know those things. God hasn't even revealed that to me. That's in the, the mind of God and the plans and his sovereign wisdom of timing. God is going to establish things according to his own will. But instead, he gives them instructions. He sends them back to the city. He sends them back into Jerusalem to wait there because something's going to happen. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me say that again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This power that he's talking about is the power that God demonstrated in his resurrection. The power that Jesus has is power that he sends to us, that we receive through the Holy Spirit. And he says this, And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us to have that power within us. That's why he sends us the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells his disciples, listen, I'm about to go away. On that night whenever he was about to be betrayed and he's sharing a meal with his, his disciples, he's telling them, listen, I'm about to go away, but listen, it's better for you that I go away. It's better for you that I go and be with the Father because I will send my Holy Spirit to be with you. And while I am constrained to this physical flesh, the Holy Spirit will go with you. He'll be inside you. He will lead you. He will reveal things to you that, that you're not ready for yet. And Jesus told them this Spirit was coming. And He's telling them here in Acts, it's about to come. Go back to Jerusalem and wait, and you will receive power. 
It's his power within them. In John chapter 16, Jesus is having that conversation with his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says this, I have many more things to say to you. They've spent three years with Jesus. Day in and day out. They've heard him preach to multitudes. They've seen him heal the blind, the lame. They've seen him bring people back from death. They've heard the things that he's taught. And he says, I have many more things. But he says this, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus says, there's no way that I could give you everything right now. You, you can't bear those things now. And listen, this is encouraging to me because there are times where I wish I knew it all. Amen? There are times where I wish I would just be done with making mistakes. Right? Don't you wish that sometimes? Man, I wish I would just stop being so subject to sin in my life. I, I wish I could just get things right. I wish I wouldn't speak before I think. I wish I wouldn't say things that the Holy Spirit isn't leading me to say. I wish that I loved people more. I wish I was more compassionate. I wish I was wiser with, with my finances, with my time. I wish I had it all figured out. But God knows our state. He knows the frame that we are built with. He's the one who built it. And we learn as we go, and we continue to learn throughout our life so that there is always more to pursue. Jesus knows, listen, I have so much more to tell you. There's so much more to this life than what you know right now. There is so much more in store for you. But you can't bear it yet. You're not ready for it now. And then he says this, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. This is the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This is God's presence in our lives leading us to the next bit of truth that we're ready to handle. Showing us what's next in store for us. Showing us what God has planned for us down the next step of the road. And there are times in our life where we say, God, that's too big for me. That's outside of me. That's, that's for super Christians. That's not for me. God, that's for people who have more time than I have. God, that's for people who have more resources than I have. God, that's for people who are nicer than me. More compassionate than I am. But God, that's for other people. It's not for me. But it's His Holy Spirit who's leading us to say, no, it is for you. You need to trust me. You need to do it not in your own power, but in the power of His Holy Spirit. Take that next step. Trust Him to guide you. If you think you don't have the resources, trust Him to provide them. If you think you don't have the time, trust Him to provide the time. If you think you don't have the compassion, trust Him to give you the compassion that He has for His sheep. It's His Holy Spirit who leads us step by step so that we can digest the truth that He's revealing to us. God has plans for you. God wants to use you to impact the world around you. There are people that you come in contact with day after day after day, and God can use you to be a light into the darkness in their life. God can use you to be salt in the blandness of their life. 
And God has designed each of us with a purpose and a calling to be used mightily by him, and he gives us the power to do it. It's not that we have to do it on our own strength. It's not that we have to whip ourselves into shape. It's that we surrender to his Holy Spirit in our life. And we let the Spirit lead us to the next bit of truth. And he says this about the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. The work of the Spirit will always do this. It will glorify Jesus. And I want to share this with you because there are some people who take these teachings about the Holy Spirit and they run off into left field with it. They miss the point of what this is all about. The Spirit is available to you. The Spirit was given to you at the moment of salvation. God sends His Spirit to dwell inside you to give you the power to be who He called you to be and to do what He calls you to do. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to be active in your life. It's absolutely true that he wants you to have that. But that's not for you. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit, but not for you. It's not so that you feel good. It's not so that you look good to other people. It's not so that you seem more religious or more righteous than other people. God gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can testify to him. So that you can point people back to Jesus. So that you can glorify the name of our Savior. That's why he pours out his Holy Spirit. What we see in the the New Testament when God pours out his Spirit and we see the disciples speaking in tongues. They don't speak in tongues so that people go, wow, look at those people. Those are really awesome people. No, he gives them that power so that they can say, Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He pours out his Spirit on his people so that they will glorify him. Listen, we have access to great power. God wants us to live out of His power within us. That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit. So that we would live according to His power within us. Not by our own strength, not by our own might. Not because of anything we do. Not because of our own abilities. We live for Him by His power. So listen, that means that when we pray, we can pray believing that God will answer our prayer. When we pray, what do we say at the end of a prayer? In Jesus' name, right? We're naming that name that's above all other names. Why? Because we're calling on that power that Jesus has told us He made available to us. So when we pray, we pray with power. We pray asking for God to do things. Believing that He can and will do it. Because He has given us access to that power. But here's the deal. When you pray in Jesus' name, you need to be praying for things that glorify His name. Right? I heard somebody say one time, I just... I just want Jesus to let me drive a Lexus and go to church. Well, if you're praying for that Lexus in Jesus' name, I don't know that you really understand what you're praying. Listen, God wants you to pray with power. 
Pray in the name of Jesus because he's offering his power on our behalf to dwell within us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that Jesus has in authority over all of creation, that's the power that we're supposed to pray in. That's the power that we're supposed to live from. It's available to us and we have access to it, but so often we don't live like it's there. So often we forget that God has given us access to that. But it's there. It's there for a purpose. It's there so that we glorify Jesus and lift up His name. Even if you go back to that passage in Acts, what he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you shall be my witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is given, is distributed, is poured out on us so that we will testify to Jesus. So that we'll glorify His name. Not for our sake, not for our benefit, not for a good feeling, but so that we would go out and share the the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, it says this, verses 5 through 7. He says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is talking about the power of his resurrection. What we do is we identify ourselves with Jesus in his death. When we come to a point of salvation, what we're saying is, I can no longer keep this up on my own power. I can no longer do this on my own. I recognize that I have no hope of saving myself. I need a Savior. And so what we do is we put to death our fleshly ways of trying to save ourselves. We crucify the flesh. We identify with Jesus in the death of who we once were. And if we are united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. That's power. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now listen, how many of you feel like you're free from sin? Don't put your hand up. We're not free from sin yet. We don't live like we're free from sin, but the reality is that's why Christ died. His death and our our death with Him gives us freedom from sin. There's power to do that because we've been resurrected with Him. Now listen, we don't feel like we're free because we haven't come to the full knowledge and understanding of this truth. We still believe that we are slaves to sin. We still believe that we are bound to follow our fleshly desires. But Christ came to set us free from it. And he gives us power to say no to temptation. And we don't always access that power. We don't always live from that power. We don't always want even that power in our life. Because we still have this body of flesh that is so easily led astray, so easily tempted to sin. But Christ came to give us power even over sin. But it's not just so that we can be 
super Christians so that we can look good to other people. It's not so that we can draw attention to ourselves. Look at what I'm able to do because of the Spirit inside of me. It, it's it's got to be more than that. It's got to be, it's not because of anything I've done. It's because the Spirit did it in me. We've got to draw attention back to Christ. That's where we find the power is whenever we're glorifying Christ in our lives. If you try to do it of your own power or try to do it for your own glory, you're going to fall on your face again and again and again. If you think that you can whip yourself into shape, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and get this life of of sin dealt with, you're going to fumble and fall again and again. It starts with a relationship with Him. It starts with knowing Him and knowing that His Spirit is within you. It starts with fostering that relationship so that you hear the Spirit inside of you leading you towards truth. Because unless you hear Him leading you, you can't take a step in the right direction. Your flesh will cry out louder every time. It's like we talked about last week, but one of the books that I've read that's based on the book of Ephesians is a book by Watchman Nee, a a Christian pastor in China, who wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. And he said, this is the order of the Christian life of development. At least whenever we get things in the proper perspective. The first thing that we need to learn to do is we need to learn to just sit. Most of us, whenever we're saved, we say, okay, well, I'm going to go out and do something for Jesus. Or I'm going to get this this sin problem in my life dealt with. I'm going to get it all straightened out. I'm going to read my Bible every single day, and I'm going to be so devoted. And we think that we can do that under our own power. If I can just whip myself into shape, then I'll be be on the right path, and and Jesus will love me more, and, and God will bless me more, and and I'll be able to do all kinds of things. But that's not what God calls us to at first. He calls us to sit in His presence, in His goodness, in His finished work. I heard somebody explain it this way one time. I don't remember if it was in that book or another book. I'm pretty sure it was in this other book called The Rest of God. But it basically pointed this out. In the the creation narrative that we have in Genesis chapter 1, what we see is that God, you know, creates light and darkness. He creates the the sea and the land, and he he makes all these divisions, and he creates the animals, the birds, the fish, the, the land animals, all these things. And the very last thing he creates on the sixth day is he creates Adam and Eve. God creates mankind as the very pinnacle of his creation at the end of day six. Adam's first day to wake up on this earth. The first day that Adam comes into life is the Sabbath day. It's his first day. (laughs) Go back to Emily. Family fellowship, right? (laughs) Adam's first day is a day of rest. God did all the work in those first six days. Adam didn't have any work to do on day six. He was just created. 
And it was the end of the day. And then day seven starts, God's day of rest. That's Adam's first day. The first thing God wants you to do as a Christian is just rest in his finished work. He saved you. He did it all. He went to the cross and he paid the price once and for all. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. You don't have to do anything to repay it. You don't have to do anything at all. It has all been done. Just sit and rest in that. And let God's power overwhelm you. Let your relationship with Him grow. Just sit and absorb His goodness and graciousness towards you. Yes, you should read your Bible. Don't don't make it a chore. Yes, of course, you should spend time in prayer. But don't make that something that you've got to work a habit up for. It should never be that way. It should just be natural because you know that God loves you and he's poured out his his power into your life. And then as you fellowship with him, as you experience that relationship with him, as you learn the truth of how he feels towards you and you ponder all the things he's already accomplished for you, then that love will spark in you the power to say no to sin. I have something better in Jesus. I don't need the security of the things of this world because I have security in my Savior. I don't need the pleasures that are in this world because I have never found a higher high than Jesus. I don't need anything that this world has to offer because I have Jesus. And when we start there, that power comes up within us and we're able to do far more than we ever thought possible. But if we just try to do it under our own power, we will fail every time. In, Acts, excuse me, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this also. Not only do we have power over sin, but we have power to pray. He says this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, if you don't think you know how to pray, don't worry, none of us do. We don't know how to pray. What we know is that we're supposed to pray. And so we try. But the Spirit knows how to pray. And God places His Spirit in your heart so that as you learn to grow in your fellowship and relationship with Him, the Spirit prays on your behalf. He intercedes for us in our weaknesses where we are not fully strong yet, where we don't quite have it all together yet, the, the Holy Spirit who knows our heart, knows our mind, He prays on our behalf. So we have power to pray whenever we let the Holy Spirit lead us. Listen, Paul talks about the, the end of, of chapter 8. He says, you know, there are so many things that we're up against. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. Will any of these things be able to separate us from the love of Christ? What he's saying is, by the way, you're going to face these things. These things are ahead of us. He's telling his disciples very clearly, he's like, look, this stuff is ahead of you. This stuff is in store for us. We're going to face tribulation. We're going to face distress persecution. We're going to face famine and nakedness. There are going to be times where we are up against some great obstacles, where we feel very much under the circumstances. 
of the world around us. There are going to be times where we suffer on the account of the cross. But then he says this. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. How do we conquer all of these things? Is it by our own strength? Is it by our own power? Absolutely not. It is the power of the Holy Spirit within us that is connected to the power of Christ who is on His throne, seated over all things in the earth, over everything in the heavens, everything on the earth below. Christ who is seated above it all, He gives us His power through His love for us so that we can live for Him in spite of whatever consequences come our way. Listen, if you've never read The Voice of the Martyrs, there is tons and tons of stories of people who have gone through excruciating ordeals because of their faith. Suffering at the hands of communist dictatorships, of just you know, people who were on mission in places that were close to the gospel, and they are captured and tortured, treated so harshly you can't even fathom. And yet somehow... In the midst of that suffering, they sing praises to the Lord. In the midst of that suffering for the cause of Christ, they witness to those who are their captors and often win them over to the love of Christ. Listen, we have power over all of these circumstances. We have power over all of these trials. Not because we've done anything great, not because of anything that we are able to do in our own strength, but because of the power that we have in Christ. And what Paul is saying to this beloved church in Ephesus and what God is saying to us today is this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints, and... What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul's prayer for those saints, God's desire for you and for me, is that we would know the power of Jesus and know that it's toward us, that it's available to us, that we have access to unbelievable power. But it doesn't come from within us. It comes from His Holy Spirit that He plants within us. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You that unfathomable power is available to us. God, thank You that You didn't leave us as orphans, that you sent your Holy Spirit to live among us, to dwell within our hearts. And that because of your Spirit within us, we have power to do far more than we could even ask or think. And so often we don't live like we have that power because we don't believe that it's truly ours to have. I thank you for your word that tells us the truth. May we believe it today.
God, I pray that our eyes would be enlightened, that within our hearts we would know what it is to live according to that power. God, I thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that paid the full price once for all. How lost we would be without that. But you didn't stop there. You also raised us up with him and planted your spirit within us. This morning I ask that we would believe that. We would sit in the truth of that. And that it would change the way we see ourselves and see the world around us. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, let me just encourage you to believe what the Word of God tells us. That Jesus sent his spirit to live inside you. And he wants to give you power over sin. He wants to give you power to pray. He wants to give you power to fulfill his mission, to continue the work of the kingdom while we're here. And Whatever it is that you think is standing in the way of you doing what God has called you to do, know that God can deal with that. You don't have to overcome it by your own power. He can provide the way through. Just be faithful to take that next step. Whatever it might be, whatever God's calling you to do, let him lead you step by step and day by day.